Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Big Handful of Cocaine for You. Turn to oh, on bbgwrestling.com. Big Handful of Cocaine for You. It's time to take out the trash. We can get through this bullshit if we're all really high. I am Pablo. Woo! I, 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 I am Pablo. The first ever Miss Rumble 2000! Well, from the little turd to the big turd, good luck. And with me is the Council Estate Cowboy. My vocal tone. And with me is the Cho Cho Chosen One. Those suplex attack nearly poofed him into dust. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Turn Chuckle on Grapple Arcade. I am Pablo, and with me is the all night rave to my socially distanced work event. It's Tempest. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Work event. That was a good, was a good one. <laughs> work event. Fuck off. Like you know what I mean. I, like what is it? What is a work event? Surely everything is an event if you're at work. Like everything. Like I get called to meetings all the time, and they never bring your own bottle. <laughs> you do anyway, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, how are you doing? You all right? I can't complain. Good. Well, I don't know what I've done right because uh, you've allowed me to talk about one of my favorite favorite years and also one of the greatest individual shows in the history of anything that's ever been broadcast on TV, in my opinion, uh, that may uh, be easily argued against. Uh, but I'm, I'm assuming this is my birthday and Christmas present. Uh, you went out of your way to watch the first episode of Monday Night Raw. Now, it's 2022 and we are 29 years in. Uh, to Monday Night Raw. So next year is the 30th anniversary. And if it's anything like the 25th anniversary, I, I shan't be watching. Um, Fucking hell, which one was that? That was the one I watched. One, is that the one I watched as well? That was the Manhattan Center dual Raw. Which you are sleeping on the fucking table and that. Yeah. The, the, the show that I was so excited for because they went back to the Manhattan Center. I thought they'd have some surprises. I thought they'd have... You know, raw girls, like just do the whole thing from there and have some storylines. Kill FTR. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, it, 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 I've never been more excited about a show to be let down by it. Like in my life. It's awful, that. I really hate that because I build myself up for stuff like that sometimes. <laughs> you just fucking break your own heart, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, like all of these uh, retro shows with legends and stuff like that i've not been able to watch any of them since i would and look this isn't me just bashing wwe but AEW, mlw impact etc have all used legends with far more respect and far more reverence and with respect to the fans as well because they know that they would legitimately like to see Baron Von Rashke put the claw on someone instead of having them come out to be kicked in the head by Randy Orton or something in his hometown. <laughs> Fuck yeah, me. Totally. Ooh, uh, the people who don't know who he is can go, yay, Randy kicked an old man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a two-minute, two-minute video just telling people who these people are. And would I get always pe- agree. I so agree. Sorry to interrupt. Carry on. No, no, it's okay. Well, we talked about this last time. You would sell more DVDs if you know when they when they did that AWA DVD, which didn't sell. If you'd bothered educating, but was mint. <laughs> it was really good. Like if you'd have bothered educating anyone or bringing Rick Martell on or you know Jerry Lawler to talk about it, since he's on commentary for three hours a week. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> it's, it's madness uh, so anyway 
that's my soapbox. That's my soapbox of dated things that no one really cares about. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, I'm in that box. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, a, you're a dated thing that no one cares I'm about. A dated oh. thing that no one cares about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so January the 11th, 1993, uh, the first episode of Monday Night Raw. Uh, for me, that was, I would compare that in terms of like a sheer seismic change in the direction of a company to Scott Hall showing up on Nitro. Like you, you have to put that raw into context with what came before it, where it was like very stuffy presentation of pre-taped, not interested crowds after four hours of tapings, squash matches, um, non-live shows, just nothing, you know, these event centers that seem to go on forever, advertising cards that you'll never see because they're not in your hometown. Um, mm-hmm. Raw being live was just, it felt like the lights being turned on, honestly. I mean, it probably in the way that the first night Raw was, to be fair. Um, but I, I always feel that the first, when Scott Hall shows up, that really feels like the first proper nitro if you get what i mean like for everything to come after it. and i know that like that's been talked about quite a bit but it just the nitro before it you know there's there's good and bad i guess mm-hmm. um but it, 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 i know what you mean like nitro is not shit before no. scott hall comes out but it really is a big difference and it, it, i think it's a lot of it is because the focal point changes from like Hogan's homies versus the raggy dolls <laughs> becomes something more like a wrestling angle and that's mm. like a fucking toy advert, you know what I mean? And no one expected it either, but it just felt like something that was desperately needed. Like you can't imagine what Night Raw or WWF would have been if they'd have continued with the same old, you know, uh, concepts and formats for like another year. There's a you part know, in this show that demonstrates that quite well that I want to talk about, but I'll, I'll wait till we get to it. But I, I hope I remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's it's demonstrated quite well on this show. Well, the the Monday Night Raw as a concept, according to Bruce Pritchard, originally was going to be a take on wrestling at the chase uh, oh, from wow. back in from back in the day, and it was also going to be a take on like boxing matches and stuff like that, where it was going to be dinner tables surrounding the ring and you come hence in tuxedo. The cards, the, hence the girls with the ring cards and that as well. Mm-hmm. And the venue would have very much suited it as well. Uh, but for whatever reason, and I think it was probably the right decision that was scrapped for something more contemporary. I mean, that's the thing. It felt contemporary finally, because you could watch something from 1992 WWF if you're not a wrestling fan and probably think is... Uh, it's still the 80s. Yeah, think it's the 80s or I mean you watch something from the 70s and you think it's from like the 40s or something because it's just so dimly lit and it's just you know it t- it took a while for presentation to catch up, you know, uh, when you look at I actually think 80s wrestling like you're saying there looks older than 70s boxing. Like I don't know how much mm-hmm. 70s boxing you've watched but like over Christmas I watched a bunch of oh whose fights was I watching? Oh, it's going to bug us now. Sugar Ray Leonard. I, I like watched a bunch of Sugar Ray Leonard fights one night, you know, as you do. <laughs> like the the <laughs> style that was being put on there seems a lot more modern than what wrestling looked like in the 80s. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you think when TV started in really in the 50s and when color TV started in the 60s, wrestling didn't take advantage of color very much compared to like studio shows um, aye, aye. 
and you know, it, and I understand it's that, drab, isn't it? It it is quite drab, and even the costumes and stuff. It still took a while for people. It, that's why it can't be underestimated how important someone like Billy Graham was oh, in the seventies. To, to go from black trunk heels to fucking tie dye and sideburns and that is unbelievable. Mm. Really, that that is like films going from black and white to Technicolor. Yeah, it really is, and you know you. Uh, have to you know when you look at music and stuff like that unless you were around at the time you probably might not be able to appreciate how something like rock rock around the clock blew everyone's mind back then because there was nothing quite like that before it even though it looks like shakespeare now compared to like things that would come just a few years later it's just like unless you're in that time period like We've if you're watching kind of experienced it though haven't we like the the first one i remember like that when i was a kid was grunge coming along mm. like when i was quite little was when rock was still the way i like it you know what i mean all the big hair and high vocals and all that good stuff and just when i was a kid seeing bands like nirvana come along suddenly like what the fuck that is such a change mm. like that, that's the closest that i could really relate this to or like in reference to mm-hmm. yeah um and for me you know, partly because I live in the past, but like night raw, the earliest raws, the Manhattan Center raws, are still one of my favorite runs of television that they ever did because they still feel very fresh. Um, I actually really enjoyed it. Like, it, it, do you know what it is? You mentioned MLW. There's some of the indie promotions that I like the best capture that vibe quite well. Mm. Yeah, it, it's actually unbelievable that WWF were able to do it, but I think. 1993 WWF without the production value and stuff like that, that they would have obviously a few years later, they would have to go out of their way now to pretend to not have production values. Like they couldn't do it even when they went back to the Manhattan center or when NXT UK happened and stuff like that. It's just, it still has an element of gloss to it. Whereas these roars, you know, you see cameramen triple, you know, I'm sorry. It is more raw, like literally as in like uncooked, unprepared, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we begin the Raw. Uh, with the first voice that shows up on Raw is our favourite, Sean Mooney. <laughs> Flowing straight in from Tracy Island of Bumblesome Lines. <laughs> so he's like, and, and people are here braving the elephants. I'm like, oh, fuck off, Sean. It's like one of the first lines you've said. is like, it's cold, but it's going to get hot. People brave the elephants. I'm like, Not many fucking elephants in Manhattan, are there? I've not been there, but... And the many things I've watched on telly, I haven't seen them walking around. It's quite a great juxtaposition between the really cool skyline shot and you're like, New York City. And there's some charm that it's like shaky camera and then you're like, ah, and here's a fucking Thunderbird that can't talk. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. Joe Mooney didn't last much longer after that. He he kind of opened up the first few... Must have been the elephants. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he opened up the first few rods. There was an all-American wrestling show uh, the I think the day before, because uh, the week before was the last primetime episode, and they said next week Monday Night Raw's coming. So prime uh, All American Wrestling would be hosted from a different location every week in America. Largely, I mean, it ended up becoming just blue screen backgrounds of them stood in front of the Grand Canyon or something, you know. But um, yeah, <laughs> as you do, as you do. Um, but the the episode before it, it was Heenan and uh, Gene Oakland really hyping up this episode of Monday Night Raw, stood outside the Manhattan Center, and, uh, it, you know, uh, they did a good job of hyping it, really. But um, Sean Mooney does a good job of bringing it back down. 
<laughs> he does. He brings it bang back to earth. That's the thing. I was watch when I went to watch this. I was thinking, no, I know I quite like this because I first saw it when it was like that bonus DVD in the raw box set. Yeah, because I I was I was at a, a funeral or something like that where I was like away from home for a few days and I was bored shitless and I went to Woolworths and bought that raw box set and that was how I first <laughs> saw this raw. And uh, I, I was like, I vaguely remember quite enjoying it. And then when Sean Mooney came out at the start, I was like, oh, Christ, did I really enjoy this? But, but no, 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 I actually did. <laughs> we didn't get Raw in the UK until 1995. Um, and as a youngin who didn't really tape create or anything like that, I didn't really get any of this 1993 Raw stuff properly until they started doing the box sets of the 93, 94 compilation or that uh, 15th anniversary one that you mentioned where you get the first episodes of bonus discs. So having access to this footage, it's like, it is like gold dust to me. Like I pre- like treasure it so much in the way that you treasure like the Saturday nights and stuff like that. They still haven't put on the <laughs> So it really is like gold dust. You can't even find it anyway. Um, yeah. So Bobby Heenan, um, shows up and uh, tries to get Bobby Heenan's so good at making something like giving excitement and like you have to be there to watch it and stuff like that and uh so you can't get into the arena because it's sold out and um the juxtaposition the- of him to Mooney as well like Bobby is such a class act yeah he comes out like acting he like has the part and Sean's like oh well did you know and then he just like starts getting his lines wrong again you're like fuck off I'm drum like Bobby Heenan's here <laughs> Well, I love the uh, the comedy cut into the intro because he's halfway through a sentence. He's like, "What do you mean I can't get?" And then in the you know, <laughs> that, in... that's proper New York, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and we'll cut to that intro. The proper yeah. The, um, one keyboard, you know, hitting the bass drum over and over again. But uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I still love it. You complete with the sirens and everything. Oh, well, that's the thing. We In 95, they went from that theme to like a kind of a 12-bar blues theme. When quite they brought, like that as well. It's just not suitable. It's not suitable. And they ended up going back to the, the original Raw uh, theme until the Beautiful People theme in 97 when they went to Raw's War. Um, which is class. Which is class. But you can tell by that point, though, the Night Raw theme was so good that you couldn't really have farty synth drums and horns. <laughs> I know what you mean, because that sounds... As much as I like the raw theme from the beginning, it sounds mm. like something that comes free with a keyboard. You know, and you keep buying your like, Yamaha one and you like press the demo button and then that you get music like that. Whereas the Nitro one sounds like it's the start of a fucking like a football program. Mm. You know, like a full on, like a big one, like Monday Night Football or something, which funnily enough, Raw tried to copy for the <laughs> music later, didn't they? Yeah. Wasn't it uh, him who sang that? You're in that, we're in your house. And then he said, You're in the house. <laughs> 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 proper shit. Aye. When they did the rip off of uh, Hank Jr.'s, Are you ready for some football thing? That was, yeah. That was fun. Well, that was Big Al from NRBQ, I think. Who did, he's the, yeah. he's the you're in the house guy, isn't he? He was um, Jarrett's guitarist on With My Baby Tonight, and NRBQ did the Captain Lou, Captain Lou song. What a guy. Yeah, yeah. I love still, both of those songs. <laughs> still going as well, Big Al. Um, Go on, get him on yes. the podcast. Pff, mate, if you don't think I haven't tried, look <laughs> me. I mean, to be honest, it would be like, right, screw NRBQ. for Middle Al with me. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. See, yeah, but get Big Al on and be like, right, screw your incredible career. Let's talk specifically about 1995. <laughs> and you did <laughs> Jeff Jarrett miming. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I interviewed Rick Bogner and I got an hour and a half out of 
what did he fit into Razor Ramon's underpants and stuff like that? So, you know, if nothing, I can For stretch For anyone up. listening to this who doesn't know the story there, that's because he played fake Razor. <laughs> <laughs> Just for some context on poor old Bogner. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the thing with when they open this Raw, they make no bones about it being almost like a studio audience because you have a hype man actually doing this and getting them up and stuff like that. And the si- sirens always work in wrestling. I don't care what anyone says. To begin oh, and yeah. end the show, have a siren. Um, well, look at Scott Steiner's music. Like His music was actually shit, but you heard the fucking siren start and you're like, oh, here comes Big Papa Pump. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So we'll uh, start with Vince, Bradley Savage, and uh, Rob Bartlett, who uh, was <laughs> local uh, New York DJ slash celebrity, well-known in New York. That's the thing. When I asked Todd Pengel about it, I, I don't know if this is Todd not knowing or not, but I'd asked him a fair question. I said, look, you have a morning show. Is that because, so why you didn't do Raw? You ended up doing the Saturday morning uh, live wire instead. You Todd could have been the commentator instead of Rob Bartlett feasibly. Oh, but Imagine. Yeah. Well, I think Rob, great. Rob Bartlett, I, mean, I know he gets a slagging and we will give him a slagging throughout this episode. But... Say, I'm going to put a boot in there. <laughs> <laughs> so Vince basically said to Rob Bartlett, what do you know about wrestling? Nothing. Perfect. <laughs> do you want to be a wrestler? That's like the way they hire for NXT now. <laughs> do you know anything about wrestling? No. Brilliant. Do you like wrestling? No. Me neither. Let's go. <laughs> See, Rob Bartlett definitely was not scripted at all on that intro because if, if you know no one shit. thing... Randy Savage does not like people doing an impression of him in front of his face. Lanny Poffo said that. Mm-hmm. And that's I one of the first that. things Rob Hart does. Um, and he talks <laughs> about Yokozuna wearing a nappy and stuff like that. And it's, it's kind of... I was just going to say, he fucks up his first fucking line. Yakazuma or something. <laughs> he calls him he calls him Yokozuma in a diaper. And I'm like, Yokozuma? Like he's some kind of giant fucking easy peel orange. <laughs> In a diaper. And Savage just looks around. Even with Savage's glasses on, you can see how Savage's eyes will look and he's just wondering what the fuck he's got into. He also, in that same like stream of consciousness shite, he manages to fuck up Damien Demento's name as well because he calls him Damien Dementa, like he's some satanic guardian of fucking Azkaban. <laughs> like, Vince's eyes nearly roll back in his head when he realises on this three-man commentary team that somehow he's going to be the best commentator. <laughs> Yeah, buyer's remorse, I think. But um, <laughs> yeah, so you're a, a play by play commentator that doesn't know what moves are, a color commentator that thinks that means wear lots of colors, and then someone else who doesn't know <laughs> out at all. What I love though, accidentally, is Rob Bartlett would legitimately pick holes through the logic of a lot of what was going on on screen, and that's not what you want when you're watching it. Um, you know, I, I don't blame him for that though. If no, 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 because he was, yeah, that's entirely it. Um, but also, can... like commentators do that now, when I sometimes like it. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes Jr. and Shivani, like ugh, I can't remember what it was, but like Jess was howling at something the other day because like they were saying about being unbelievable, and it was like Jr. was like, "Yes, I don't believe it." <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> <laughs> like just bringing stuff up, and we were both like, "Aye, yep, can't argue with that." Like, oh, well, um, we'll start with Yokozuna against Coco Beware, and uh, we're building up to the Royal Rumble. So, I've Coco's good. They didn't want strict at that time very early on strict jobber jobbers um they wanted names and but there's no way coco beware was going to beat yokozuna but um no. it's admirable though that they wanted to make it competitive mm-hmm. oh absolutely like that was that was meant to be the 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 format of raw that it was competitive if not short matches but um it's more like you know, saturday t- night 
yeah except with short matches well the thing is with with like a small audience where you could potentially hear each individual chant you certainly don't want them getting bored because i think if silence in that arena would be death um absolutely like you would rather have them boo (laughs) (laughs) because it's still a response yeah but uh, the building up Yoko for the Rumble here. And you know what? I visually liked, I know this is like, you know, picking out ring gear and stuff like that, but I visually liked the white tights with the red nappy bit. I think that looked good on Yoko, like over the red. Um, I'm glad you brought up the visuals because I was quite impressed by Coco having what essentially looked like a NASCAR coat if it was made by Dolly Parton's mom for the coat of many colours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, first racist comment from Rob Bart- uh, goes to Rob Bartlett of the night. Um, I thought you were going to say me there. I was like, shit, wait, what have I done? No, no, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, when he uh, says that he was, uh, what's his face? Um, he, he, he compares him to different strokes. Different strokes, yeah. Um, and Vince is just like, he gets off that pretty good. He was like, you know, I, I didn't know he was still wrestling. Vince was like, oh, well, he grew up and now he's talking he's beware. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, I wondered what he was doing. He's like, well, he grew up and tries to move on really fast. Yeah. Um, when you're too inappropriately racist for Vince McMahon, um, you know, <laughs> it's time to move on, I think. You know, considering <laughs> it's Yokozuna, not from Japan, uh, you know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I know, but, but Bartlett doubles down on the racism there as well. I don't know if it's xenophobia or racism. I'm, I'm not good at knowing the different flavours. But uh, he's, he he says that he has an arse like an amphitheatre because he's one big-butted oriental. Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. I did like Vince, though, saying that he was £505. That made it sound more like proper sport, which mm. feeds in with what you were saying about boxing and that. Because later on, it's always like, giants are £500, £600. I'm like... When the fuck do you hear, like, in boxing or something where people are such a round number? You just don't. No. Yeah, and, and that was really the smallest Yoko would ever be. And if he just stayed at that weight, he would have been going well into the Attitude Era and gimmick change and stuff like that. And um... He probably ended up being a fucking rapper or something like that, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably best that he didn't end up doing it. Well, when he turned face, I mean, when he was allowed to talk, he just had that Simone gangster like you know vibe to him like, when like he was talking yeah. yeah basically like in the the fact that he was a sumo wrestler or whatever became like secondary he just looked like he could bray you but he was also much bigger at that point and he was there to you know to kind of job to people at that point which i thought was quite sad but at this point this is this is yokozuna um oh absolutely they are building them for the rumble even if the commentary is doing its best to ruin it with guffaw and fat jokes and telling them to put a bra many all that, all many it. fat jokes uh he's got his own gravitational pull oh, um yeah it's, it's, it's like, just make him sound fucking scary don't make him sound fat no, i agree with that i agree I d- with I that don't know what that what do they have or vince have with making proper gangster cool samoans into sumos yeah. It's like you got you put Yoko in a Mawashi and pretend he's Japanese, and then they're called far too Rikishi. Like a Rikishi is a sumo. Like yeah. how are man? They're not <laughs> Japanese and they don't do sumo wrestling. The only sumo that I'm aware of that you've had was a a, a white man with a beard who, on my side of the fence, unfortunately, was made into a fish. <laughs> I think uh, Tenru was he sumo. Oh shit! Actually, I think he did. He did do sumo. No, he only had he's a few. He's in the rumble, isn't he? 
He was, and he was at the uh, Superstars taping the next night as well. I think he'd be Brooklyn Brawler, and it was only broadcasting like Sweden, which is like mental. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I know. What I know. a legendary moment to have. Like, <laughs> ah, no one will care about that. That's wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you're right, though, with the commentary. Like, if you watch Superstars or Challenge, where it's Vince, Jerry Lawler, and Randy Savage, or Grill Monsoon and Bobby Heenan, they make Yoko into a proper threat. But on this Raw, they're trying to be Saturday Night Live, basically. Or but badly, like proper amateur dramatic Saturday Night Live. Yeah, just let the, uh, it really. There's a few matches where that happened. The commentary, and it's not just Bartlett; it's the presentation style. Pissed me off because what's going on in the ring is either good or important, and they're detracting from it, which is the last thing commentary should do. Yeah, we'll eventually at some point get to Bartlett's last Raw when the they'd given up at that point. They might as well have just turned Bartlett's microphone off, but Vince had had enough. You can just tell on commentary. You can fucking see it coming on this one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Yoko disposes of Coco. Um, Got him over, though. He seemed like a heat, unmovable man mountain, so it definitely served its purpose. <laughs> Savage did do a good bit of commentary while I'm shitting on the commentary, though. He, <laughs> he makes like a pure flat Stanley reference after he gets bum dropped, and he's like, now you can just slide Coco under the door. <laughs> just like, I mean, he didn't sound like the cookie monster. That's just me. <laughs> like, yeah, I thought, I thought that was really fucking fun. Yeah. Uh, good way to start off road, though, I think. Like, you know. Yeah, um, the glorious Royal Rumble advert that followed it. Yeah. Big fan of that. Oh, yeah. Sounds like I found it more glorious than you. I'm no, like, no, no, oh, me too. You try a rumble, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it was, it was, you know, there weren't any farty trumpets or anything like that. It was just big blokes braiding each other, basically, the sound of. Um, yeah, exactly. It's what you want. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's there's a lot of things that changed in 1993 with like presentation and stuff like that. And as we get into some of the events, you'll see like, some things that they were like experimenting with that they hadn't before. And like I say, 1993 and I know it gets a slagging off, but they did a lot of fresh looking things that the, um, you know, exist or stayed with their presentation for a long time. Um, I think it gets slagged off for a few things that are really bad. And that makes people miss that. There's a lot of things that are really good or really important as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. So uh, what do we have coming up next? After that, we get that little, like pre-match vignette and can I just say I was in love with that ring girl's hair because she looks like she's in Vixen that was so magnificently backcombed and teased and she was like Nirvana who <laughs> like she was she was still going with the good stuff like she was very pretty like, oh she was she, she was nothing sorry nothing like a, a woman in WWF ring before like you know that was a, a good move to have those ring girls involved there were people like stood up and looked when she was coming out. You can see in the crowd, and I was just like, "Aye, that's getting it right." Like, uh, do you know what? As well, there's a thing I really appreciated. Vince points out because what comes up next is a pre-taped promo from Bobby Heenan. Yeah, but he points out that this is pre-taped, so that it makes sense because we've just seen him locked out and he's trying to get in. Yeah, I I really like that. I wish they would do more shit like that. They did a few building up to the narcissist. It was, you know, again, Heenan is a hype man, is so good. Um, oh, definitely. You've said narcissist any more times, though. <laughs> I felt like you had a bet for how many times you could fit it in. Well, me and uh, Colin Delaney have had this argument quite a bit that before he came in, is nar- the narcissist Lex Luger 
he was called just Narcissus because they yeah, didn't they, announce... they don't mention Lex Luger, yeah? No. Not until they unveiled the curtain. So um but Narcissus what the deal was there. Yeah. Narcissus was the name of the person who loved himself, whereas being a narcissist is something different. Like it's yeah. a more general term. Um, and, and it has negative connotations that aren't the ones they're trying to portray. Mm-hmm. But you know who Narcissus was, don't you? I, th- well, I, th- I want to say it was a Greek legend, but he was the guy who like found himself so beautiful and he used to gaze at his own reflection all the time, hence when they gave Flexi Lexi the mirrors and that. But uh, I, there's one of the... I think it's a goddess. I, I couldn't tell you which one. Didn't he drown by looking at his reflection in the water or something? Yes, he's yeah. drowned by falling in love with his reflection. And essentially, I think there's a goddess gives him a bit of a shove and he's drowned in the in the creek or the river or whatever it is. Right. Well, um, Heenan stood in front of the silver curtain, um, which is like a very subtle... When you look back on it now, you don't realise that that is the curtain that will raise when Luger uh, is unveiled. Uh, when he when Heenan practically nuts on Luger, he's just like putting him <laughs> over so much. When the first reveal of his body, he's like, "Oh, show them! No, cover it up! No, show them!" But we'll get to that. <laughs> so yeah, you, you got to think at the time as well that the intrigue is definitely there. Like they're really they're also experimenting with different ways to unveil people as well. It's not just straightforward vignettes. Like the the thing with Doink. Like he's shown up in the audience, he's already there. Is that the first you've seen of Doink? No, Doink had been around a few months before then. Um, right, okay. But he is on the show. But it's again, he hadn't been in the ring at that point, and no one knew him as Doink at that point. He hadn't turned heel specifically. Um, he was just playing tricks on wrestlers and popping balloons in the crowd and stuff like that. But when you look They're at like getting the... his name wrong there as well, aren't they? That, that makes sense when you're saying about him, he's not been announced and they don't know he's doing because I'm sure they're calling him like Doof or Dunk or something like that. They're like getting his name wrong. It's like a sound effect. Yeah. Um, well, up next, we've got the Steiner Brothers match. Yeah. Uh, who who were they against? Because I just remember like two anonymous masked buttholes. I can't remember who they were. It was the executioners, which is always a lazy way to get some jobbers out there in masks and give them oh, some kind of character. Them. But yeah, the, those <laughs> those uh, executioners in particular were not uh, Big John Studd and Killer Kowalski. Uh, you don't were... say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, some people might be like, "What well, the executioners? The former tag team champions? No, not those executioners. <laughs> Definitely not." No, it was uh, it was Dwayne Gill and Barry Hardy. Um, and oh, I didn't realise it was Gilbert. Yeah, uh-huh. and it fits in quite nicely as well because Dwayne Gill will be an upcoming guest on an episode of the Cello Toys podcast because he has a figure coming out uh, of his... I can say it on this show as Gilbert. Legally, I probably can't say that he's having a Gilbert figure out because, you know, it's a copyrighted <laughs> name and stuff like that. But we'll be talking about all of his career and stuff like that. But the Steiners always gave credit to... I can't remember who took the Frankensteiner if anyone did, but they always said that Dwingle and Barry Hardy were like just perfect for being chucked about and selling for them and taking the Frankensteiner and stuff like that. So the Steiners did enjoy working with uh, Dwingle and uh, Barry Hardy. But again, it's a, cool. it, it's one of the first uh, Steiner Brothers uh, matches on TV, if not the first Um Again, don't write me letters on that, but they did a vignette or an interview about two weeks before saying they would come to the WWF and uh, they, they, they were building up ever so slightly the fact that they were going to face the Beverly Brothers at uh, at the Royal Rumble. 
Uh, you know, it was a cold match, but it was just something to get the Steiners over, and uh, they they really did do a good job of getting the Steiners over. But again, the Rob Bartlett's just like I've got one word for Rick Steiner: electros. What? Ele- what do you call it? When you I remove hair. Remember. Oh, God. Darling, what's it called when you use electricity to move pubes? <laughs> move them, like remove them. Electrolysis. Oh, fuck me. Is it electrolysis? Yes, it is. It's electrolysis. I'll edit that in. Um, electrolysis. Ha 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 ha. So, um... <laughs> oh, don't edit that. Leave it as it is. That's funny. <laughs> Thank you, Jess. Um... <laughs> Thank you, Jess. <laughs> we are two dumb. We two dumb wrestling fans. We don't know words. Um... <laughs> it, but it wasn't funny. That's the thing. So that, no, that was what, not funny, and no. that's what matters. So, uh, yeah, Rick and Scott Steiner, like, unlike. Really, anything WWF had seen in a good long while. Proper oh, wrestler, wrestlers. So, yeah. Look at some of the moves. You know, he, he does that like stampede move into the turnbuckle and a power slam and the, the win it with the Doomsday Bulldog. Like, that must have seemed wild to WWF fans at the time. Yeah. Do you remember that? Um, what was that other move they did off the top rope where it was like a pile driver off the top rope? It was a, the DDT, but I'm, oh, I the DDT. Vince would love him to do that, yeah. I mean, jump they off d- and DDT them off the shoulders. I saw it a couple of times, and then I think Vince might have saw it for the first time and was like, nope. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but during that match, uh, Vince mentions that uh, a new wrestler is about to debut called Mitch Ferrotti, and um, he was a player, uh, a football player for the Buffalo Bills. And uh, he... Yeah, and he never ever makes that debut match. Um, uh, Mitch Ferrotti, according to interviews, was sure that he was about to go into the WWF. That he had made the deal, and I mean, I'm guessing he had made the deal, but he also it was also assumed that he was using football as a stepping stone to get into wrestling, and that he was kind of a bit flaky with like the teams that he played for and stuff like that. Oh, and yeah. you would love him if you saw a picture of him. He's got a tash. He's big meathead and he's got a mullet um so my kind of pal, like. <laughs> so it's entirely not suited for wwf in 1993 basically um <laughs> not at all no uh but it, it just never happened and i think it was largely uh due to injuries uh around that time but he even said that after his football career had finished he was doing promo stuff of wwf anyway i've never seen any of that but uh, he was that certainly was going to end up in WWF. Never happened, and then he actually passed away around 2008, I want to say. Uh, but he's oh. just—it's one of those weird little trivia bits because if you even if you miss that match, because you would, because it's only two minutes long or something, then you might blink. That's a, a name <laughs> that go to the toilet, and there's a name that you'll never ever see, and it was whether he was planned for the Rumble or anything like that. But nah, nothing, nothing at all. So. Um, yeah, what what do we have next? You got Sean Mooney again, and he seems like he's trying to pull Adrian Adonis outside until you realise it's actually just Bobby Heenan in a very convincing disguise. <laughs> yeah, Mooney must be blind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was my favourite bit about the 25th anniversary Raw, that three people showed up to that Raw dressed as all three costumes of Bobby Heenan. <laughs> I saw oh, that. That was so, so good. good. Yeah, I wish they'd make action figures of them, but uh, you probably couldn't make <laughs> a one of a Hasidic Jew uh, costumes. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I would not think so, no. 
Um, so yeah, Bobby Heenan um, looking like Pat Butcher uh, <laughs> doesn't make it past the keen eye of Sean Mooney. <laughs> Even though Bobby Heenan, the wig comes off, he's like not. <laughs> he's gonna get by otherwise. Bobby Heenan could legitimately beat up Sean Mooney. Why doesn't he just do that? <laughs> There's no security stopping him from getting in. I exactly. And he is an employee, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, uh, after that, do we go to the arguably the match of the night? You get Razor being interviewed in his finest shite shirt first. Of all. <laughs> <laughs> and during that, they get a little like flashback where you see Owen Hart in a fine shell suit and legging combo as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's wearing Zubaz, wonder- isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he is. I had to wonder though, why the fuck is there like an outdoor metal ash bin in the changing room? <laughs> because it was like, what the fuck was that doing in there? <laughs> that was, um, and that clip was from, I want to say, the first episode of WWF Mania as well. Um, another massive, oh, was it really? yeah, another massive change in the uh, the programming schedule for WWF. They were going to do exclusive interviews every week, and the, the as with every concept they've ever had they got bored of that after five episodes that's yeah. the rule isn't it <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, the, pitch a new concept of Vince he's like I got five on it and then he's going to get fucking bored of it after that and it's going <laughs> to just be the same as everything else the, the Razor is number one contender if you look at it at the time I, 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 Flair should have really have been the number one contender or Ultimate Warrior that was the plan uh Warrior said that it was meant to be him and Brett at the Rumble, which would have been very interesting. Um, but again, it's it's one of those like steps that I guess they needed to take to use new wrestlers and actually try and get them over and experiment with them. Because Brett and Razor isn't really... A, a world title match is never really the main event of a Royal Rumble pay-per-view anyway. No, it's the Rumble. Yeah. Uh, but Razor... In his eight months, I mean, you know, he he cost Savage the title uh, to Ric Flair, and then him and Flair started teaming up a little bit, and uh, you know, but again, Flair was like, "Oh, I'm going to get my title back," and there was never anything on TV. They had an Iron Man match around this time on a house show, and that fan really? camp, yeah, that fan camp footage still exists. It's a one-hour Iron Man match, um, and I believe. It, it may have been Bretton Bigelow on Flair's last night, but uh, I know Bretton Flair did have more matches after that as well. Um, but the And the Razor Bret matches, and we'll get to that when we do the Royal Rumble, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it, uh, pop of the night probably goes to Razor from his toothpick in v- Vince's face. <laughs> oh, typical, typical New York crowd, isn't it? It'd be a rowdy and smart. <laughs> yeah, Vince wasn't expecting that, but yeah, Razor's uh, attire is uh, wonderful. Um Purple burgundy sweatpants, I guess. And a shite shirt. You know? <laughs> it's just like four different garish shirts fucking stitched together. <laughs> it's amazing that you can wear that and still look legitimately like a fret. I think that was the thing that sold Razor, though, that he was like, when you look at all the, the gimmicks that they brought in as heels during that time, Razor was, I mean, it's it's a ridiculous gimmick for a wrestler, but there was like a to legitimate... Tony Montana. yeah. But there was a legitimate, like a, a legitimate feel to him that he could have actually been that person, right? Oh, I, apart from his dodgy Cuban accent. But then again, Tony Montana was Al Pacino with a dodgy fake Cuban accent as well, so <laughs> it still works. Well, one thing that's forgotten about the Razor character as well that as a heel, they talk about it in like articles and magazine articles and stuff like that. But he fought his way up from the streets and had to do 
horrible things to become like a star, basically, like sell it's drugs like or whatever. Montana. Yeah, yeah. Um, he starts as an immigrant in one of those like containment camps, doesn't he? And works himself up to be king of Miami. Yeah, yeah. So and the thing, they definitely didn't um, capitalize that enough on TV, but with the magazines where Vince isn't personally reading every single article, I think there was a bit more free reign to like build up people's characters in a more colourful way, but also a way that adds a bit more depth to them as well. That's really cool. Is this Vic Venom era magazine? No, this is... With regards to Razor, it's slightly before that. Because um, he didn't come in until 94. Uh, but he was... So, he was very responsible for a lot of that, though. Like, when Owen turned heel, uh, Vic Venom... He was Vince Russo. Like, before he was... It's kind of weird. Like, no, Vince Russo and Vic Venom were completely separate people um, early on. And you were never meant to know that one was the other, although it was, like, obvious. Um, so Vince Russo actually shows up on an episode of Mania, um, and he, he looks, really? yeah, he looks like such a nerd. He's got like his little pawn tash, and he's, he's a got, fucking nerd. Well, that's true. Um, and he says to Top Angle, "So Blue Bla- Blue Blazer is actually Owen Hart, and that that's like a a really revealing thing for WWF in 1994 to give away the identity of someone or admit that someone had a previous gimmick." Um, that's cool though, because that isn't strictly breaking kayfabe. Mm. Like he was a superhero. And superheroes are like secret, like fucking Clark Kent was Superman, you know what I mean? Owen Hart could be the Blue Blazer, realistically, and you could get sick of being a superhero and think, fuck this, I'm just going to be a cunt. Well, that was entirely it. Like you said that, uh, you know, he did an interview with Owen and Owen talks about how Brett held him down and said that he should be the Blue Blazer and stuff like that. And and this isn't Russo being heelish at all. This is him being investigative journalist. Like it wasn't like... He was on the the live wires a bit later on when he calls out Doc Hendricks for being Michael Hayes and all that kind of stuff. Um, I like that though because that's not insulting your intelligence. Yeah, that's like, uh, it's the opposite to the bad end of the worksheets he did on Nitro. Like some of that shit's good. You've just got to get it right. It's a really, it's a fine fine line to cross. But you know how he crosses lines with like a fucking bulldozer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he freshened up that magazine, certainly. And one, there's something that people completely forget about, that WWF had an official dirt sheet at one point, uh, written purely by Vince Russo, and it was called The Bite. Like, he had a article in the magazine, and then one month on the article, he was just like, I'm sick of being held back in this magazine. I'm going to write my own article if you, or newsletter. If you're going to, uh, if you want it, write to this address and all that. And I don't think there's anything like hugely revealing on these newsletters, but uh, That's it's cool. Though. Yeah, That's no, creative. it is. It is like, you know, Rousseau had his place on screen as well. And I, I always say that the only time he's bad is when he's solely in control. Yeah, because he has a, he has a, some good ideas and a lot of shit ones. But when he's in control, he's like, "God damn, we're gonna double down on the shit ones, bro." <laughs> You're like, "Oh no." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a controlled, not controlled, but like a filtered, I guess, Vince Russo during the Attitude Era or through '97 or whatever. Mediated, yeah, mediated. How I like to think of it, because he's done some of my favorite stuff and the stuff I've hated the most. Well, you know, he did uh, commentary for WWF. Um, do you know how Shock on Saturday Night was a thing? Well, in the New York market only, they had a show called WWF New York. 
and uh, him and Jim Ross were on commentary, which is like, holy shit. Yeah, Jim Ross is like, you can tell he's tearing his hair. He <laughs> <laughs> probably um, had to move on to his chest hair and then his ball hair. He would have torn <laughs> so much out being on commentary with him. Well, th- there's a story that Cornette tells where he, he, Russo does his first uh, commentary and he goes up to Jim Cornette and he's just like, oh, that was great. And Cornette's like, what was great? Oh, doing the announcing, like, it's the first time I've ever been in inside the barricade while a match was going on. And he's like, you're writing the shit and you're marking out that much about being on the inside of it. You know, it's that thing of like, that. you know, the, uh, was it Ollie Anderson who said like he liked the wrestling business much better when the marks were in the front, not uh, in the locker room? Uh, yeah, when the marks <laughs> were in the audience, I, not the locker room. I, I, I agree. The uh, Tony Khan can piss me off like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, like when he comes out and it's just like, oh my God, all that money and you're this position in the company and no one's giving you basic speech training. <laughs> and he's like, and his voice is making all over the place and he's getting really excited. And I'm like, fucking shut up. The, the nerd thing isn't endearing to me. I'm already a nerd and I have voice training. So give her <laughs> Where they're going to be like, it's raw and it's different. And like this bit where he's cringing because like Bartlett says ass and he's like, no, don't say that on TV. And it's like, <laughs> By making it raw and real and when they're trying to be edgy, that like puts Vince on the back foot, which makes him more like the real Vince, which is why his commentary is actually pretty good. He is far and above the best commentator on this show. <laughs> yeah, that is that is definitely true. Uh, Jim Ross never really rated Randy Savage and Jim Ross nearly got lampooned for saying that just because he was dead. And he was like, well, it didn't make him a good commentator. <laughs> no, fuck that. I agree. I'm a massive, massive Randy Savage, Mark. His commentary sucked. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard when you don't have either a heel announcer to balance Vincent Savage mm-hmm. going mental. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to I be a that. yeah, they're definitely when when eventually they get Heenan involved, um, it certainly helps because Bartlett, I I like Bartlett because Raw these Raws would not have been the same without him. But you're glad he's gone by the time like it's oh, finished. Right. But like you know what they're trying to do though with Bartlett. Like, and I guess it works in New York, but maybe they're not thinking big enough. And for context, like as you say, we didn't get Raw in England back then. It wasn't the global phenomenon that Raw becomes. So I always find when you do a three-man commentary booth, you have like a play-by-play guy, then you have a colour guy, and then you have like a lovable buffoon. And that is the best way to do it. So, for example, like Gorilla Monsoon or Dusty Rhodes, they are beloved buffoons who talk silly shit that people like Meltzer denounce them for and that, but people like us appreciate it's really entertaining and fun. And they're like some wild uncle or granddad who's just talking bollocks. But that's probably what they're going for with Rob Bartlett, because I imagine he is quite beloved in New York due to his status as a shock jock and what have you. Hmm. But it would probably be like us having Alan Thingy off Night Owls. <laughs> what was he called again? Alan, oh, I was going to say Alan Partridge. Um... <laughs> this is a beer talking now. I can't remember. <laughs> Alan Robson. <laughs> Alan Robson, that's it. That would be like you've got a colour commentator, you've got a play-by-play commentator, and you've got Alan Robson. <laughs> People in Newcastle and Gateshead are like, yeah, and everyone else is like, what the fuck's going on here? And this guy knows nothing about wrestling. Yeah, there's a different style of humour that wouldn't really appeal to the side. I mean, he's, he's so passive that he, he blatantly doesn't come across like he's impressed by anything he's watching. It's all that forget about it style. Like, yeah, it doesn't that doesn't appeal to me either, to be honest. No, and when you talk about lovable buffoons, they had Alfred Hayes. 
He's the most lovable oh, he buffoon. He's a very lovable buffoon. I love Alfred Hayes. I love about 12 inch penis buffoon. <laughs> well, he eventually took. Um, he took Mooney's job hosting like the outside segments of Raw. They had Gene Oakland, and Gene does a part in this. What an upgrade. What an upgrade to go yeah. from Sean Mooney to Alfred Hayes. My <laughs> Lord. And they, they still had Gene Oakland, who I think would have worked really well in the arena instead of just doing the updates at this point. How lovable is Gene, even when he's square? That's the thing you get on Nitro. It's like frat boy party woo, everybody's pissed as shit and it's it's like watching an episode of party down south and he's like the a school teacher who's trying to keep order on like a fucking college trip while everyone's drunk and that and it's just such a lovable chemistry that i think would have worked really well on raw but they might have been worried was too square but like gene is cool square so like he would have fitted in if that makes sense gene doing in-ring interviews on raw would have instead of vince because you know you'd vince being disappointed or whatever, or being happy about someone, it's. I don't think people cared about like his reactions to stuff. Like a few weeks later, when Hogan comes back, Vince is just gleamy eyed, like just so excited. But it's like he's the no only person gives a fuck. Basically, I mean, but you know, there's nothing charming about Vince as an interviewer, and he's not combative or anything like that. Whereas Gene, the fact that he's combative, but he's also about five foot one. Against like so, someone who's like seven foot, it's just like plucky, plucky yeah. though, doesn't it? Uh-huh. You, you see him like talking shit like that, even on Nitro. Because I'm sorry to keep bringing up WCW, but it's no, no. an easier frame of reference for me. No, no. But like you'd see him talking to some big cunt like Kevin Nash, and he's like being a bit forward and a bit plucky, and you think, fucking hell, mate, he could like shove you in his pocket. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was uh, there was a Nitro where the Giant he's interviewing the Giant and Giant proper just slobbering all hour and gets spit all out of the camera. So Gene Oakland, <laughs> he improvs and he picks his hanky out of his pocket and wipes the camera down. Like, just a little bit of showbiz like that. Just, a, you know, knowing what to do. Yeah, absolutely. So what do we have coming up next? Next is, well, actually, no, we have a very brief little uh, vignette of Tatanka rocking the old headlock on hunger. Good for him. Mm-hmm. I do like Tatanka. But after that, we get Max Moon versus Shawn Michaels for the IC title, in which you said arguably the match of the night. There is no argument. <laughs> yeah, do you notice that uh, Max Moon's entrance was completely on a wide shot, on a far shot, because he couldn't get his friggin' pyro fists working? Um... <laughs> I didn't even know he had pyro fists. So <laughs> I, be it. I never oh. knew that was a thing. I just knew he looked like. If you were trying to design a Tron suit that had been came all over by a fun fax, that was basically like <laughs> Max Moon's uh, outfit. Imagine. It's a super early 90s. Yeah, and he's prime fodder for uh, Rob Bartlett, who's blatantly never seen Max Moon. You've got wrestlery looking wrestlers, and then all of a sudden you've got this human dildo coming out. <laughs> Ribbed for a pleasure, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, definitely. Oh, good so, Like, yeah, the he had one fist that was set off a bit of pyro, and then he had another fist that shot out like a spidey web. And on the bigger shows, like superstars and stuff like that, the camera would be on the camera would be on the floor, and you would see him walk up the stairs, but it looked like he was levitating up the stairs with his rocket-powered boots or something. Right. I always wondered when people said like his costume was so expensive, and I was like fucking how 
looks like he's made out of science fiction wrapping paper. He looks fucking appalling. I didn't realise he had like rocket feet and no, he Spider-Man didn't. gauntlet and a firework hand. He didn't have rocket feet. The camera just made it look like he was levitating to the ring. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah, no, it was it was poor. But the um, did you see when Conan was showing the idea of Max Moon to Vince, and he brought in the full robot Japanese outfit? It looked like Terminator. Have you seen these That's pictures? Cool as fuck, though. No, I haven't. Yeah, he, he did a couple. That sounds like I'd probably like that though. Oh, it would have been unlike anything WWF. Had t- I mean, it would have been a step in a weird direction, but I think it would have brought in a lot of fans of like. I guess Japanese anime and all that kind of stuff. Like it had that feel to it. Like, um, I don't know that enough about it. Well, cool compared to the Tron thing that they did. Oh, well, you know, so you, you know, Conan did a couple of matches as uh, what comic kid and in the Max Moon costume. And then I think he got shit canned or he was like, fuck this. And then they got whoever fit into the costume who was walking by and it just happened to be Paul Diamond. Um, I was going to say, it's Paul Diamond, isn't it? It's, it's someone pretty respectable. Someone dressed up as the spaceman. Someone pretty respectable and someone who goes by years with Shawn Michaels into the AWA with Bad Company. And, uh, I'm sure they wrestled in Texas together as well. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, Paul Diamond was brought in as a trainer for Michaels Wrestling School as well. So they had like a oh, long term. That's cool. Yeah, they had a long term friendship. So I wouldn't be surprised if Michaels, with the sway that he probably even had back then, specifically chose. Someone who he would have had to have beaten, uh, but, you know, someone that he knew he could have a good match with. It is good and competitive, though. Mm-hmm. It's one of those rare times back then where you see a long match that's competitive where the heel wins cleanly. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good match. Um, and I think it sets, it's unlike anything that you've seen on, like, superstars and stuff like that, because, like you say, it would be DQs, it would be an angle... Like, this show is really good at putting people over... This first episode is really good at putting people over and creating a few credible threats for the Royal Rumble match as well. Because it was un- it, was, it was unpredictable who was going to win. Everyone might think, oh, definitely Yoko, but no one knew that then. You wouldn't know that listening to the fucking commentary. <laughs> it made him seem like he wasn't a threat at all. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, they go out with their way to ruin this match. This is the best match on the show and probably for several rows with some of the most distracting shite nonagans and fucking ridiculous commentary ever. Yeah. Like I thought that match was mint, but fuck me. It's already distracting enough when you've got Doink poncing around in front of the camera, but then Rob Bartlett starts doing those impressions. Holy shit. It's so hard to watch what's going on. While he's doing, you know, like there's always some guy in the pub who does impressions that make you just go over and you're like, fucking get out and go somewhere else. Rob yeah. Bartlett is that guy during this match. And it was, I don't know if it's just me, but it was proper winding me up. I was like, I'm trying to watch you, Bellens. Get out of the way. Yeah. He, yeah, he does like a Free Stooges impression. Um, oh, it's so bad. Yeah. Does he do the Mike Tyson impression on that one? Oh, I can't remember if it's on this match, but he does a terrible... It's like he tries to be Mike Tyson without much of the lisp or anything. You know? oh, yeah. And Vince so... is trying to play along to it, going like, oh, Mike Tyson's on the phone. It's just like, no, shut up, come on. It's like Vince, no, good effort, though. Can't blame Vince <laughs> for trying, but like Vince should have actually just punched him really fucking hard and then moved on and talked about someone else. <laughs> At one point, he just goes, 
oh, that face makes me break wind. Like, sorry, what? I've never just, like, looked someone in the eye and their face has made me fart. What does that even mean? What emotion are you trying to convey? Like, flatulence isn't an emotion, so what the fuck's going on here? Yeah, I would love to have seen whatever like there would have been like sort of wrestling radio shows back then and uh smart you know magazines and all that kind of stuff and i would love to have seen people's reactions to rob bartlett in 1993 oh, um christ i yeah have been, imagine how much we would shit on that now if that was happening now no that see that is and true we're not we're not smart <laughs> but like we would shit on that and, and that's the thing, like, obviously, I love that time period and I love those shows, but if Rob Bartlett was not there, he would not have been missed. Mike Adamley. Yeah, and, and, and you know, this might ruin any chance of me getting Rob Bartlett on any kind of show ever, but, you know, whatever. Um, if he doesn't know wrestling, I'm going to say he definitely doesn't know a turntruckle, so he's probably all right. No, he definitely no, he definitely doesn't, but it wouldn't stop us reaching out, you know what I mean? Um, I think no, he I did. meant he won't have fucking heard me shitting on him. Totally. Oh, fair enough. Mo- he did an interview with Mooney, you know, and I kind of want to hear it. God. No, I know, <laughs> I know. I'm intrigued though, because you know, I think you'd get like an unvarnished opinion from Rob Bartlett because he did some he might have done like Howard Stern or something like or Opie and Anthony or something like that. And um I think it was Opie and Anthony now you mention it. Yeah, and they really just mock WWF. And I think Rob Bartlett was a bit hesitant to like get involved with the jokes, even though he's meant to be a comedian, but uh because I think he knew what side his bread was buttered, and you never know when he might get asked back for an anniversary or something like that. Or well, Howard Stern would say harsh stuff about wrestling, but there was a time period in that brief period where WWE were cool, where there was a lot of people on Howard Stern. And obviously Howard's one of the coolest guys of all fucking time. Mm-hmm. I think Howard Stern appreciates wrestling. I mean, he, he'll question it and he'll find flaws in the logic and stuff like that, but I think he appreciates There's how... There's nothing wrong with that, though. Yeah. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, that's kind of what we're doing now. <laughs> yeah, basically. It's not as well as him. <laughs> so the uh, Shawn Michaels um, Max Moon match, match of the night, and uh, the the Shawn Michaels, that attire got turned into a Funko Pop, which was very exciting. Yes, it did. Yes, yeah. it did. And uh, we'll never... Unless we get very lucky, see a Max Moon figure. But I mean, there's that many toy companies out there now that you never know. And I think he owns. I think he got the costume stolen from him, got another one made or something like that. But uh, he still does. Someone stole that. I swear that was only to burn it. (laughs) Well, you'll never like wear it on the street. I think it would be instantly recognizable if someone decided to wear it. But uh, did you ever see the? Assuming anyone knows who Max Moon is. Did you ever see the? I think people just be like, "Who? Why is this guy dressed like a bellend? In fact, you know Tron Lady in Newcastle City. Centre. I know Tron lady. Tron lady. Yeah, 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 exactly. What if she stole Max Moon's costume? Oh shit! I think she would literally fly at that point. <laughs> no, I mean, what if that's what she's wearing? That's why she's Tron lady. What if that's her origin story? Is that she fucking stole Max Moon's costume? I think we've got about as niche as we're ever going to get Tron Lady. Um, I, this, this is super duper northeast fucking niche, like <laughs> Tron Lady for anyone who doesn't. It's hard to explain without it being too obvious. She's always dressed like she's in Tron, and she has like a Decepticon helmet on, and you just see her in Northumberland Street all the time. When I worked in CX, she used to come in nearly every day, and I was like, "Is this uniform from where you work?" And she's like, "No." I was like, "Okay, cool." Well, you talk to her. Uh, mate, I worked in CX. She used to come in nearly every day. Like, what did you buy? Like, oh, I can't fucking remember. It was okay. proper random DVDs. Like, you know the ones that they were like ninety nine pence, and the 
only people who used to buy those like pound DVDs and 25 pence DVDs and that mm. used to be resellers usually that have like a website where they'd sell them for about three pound. Yeah. And they'd buy loads of dead cheap ones and sell them on that. She used to buy them like that, but then I'd be like, are you reselling these? And she's like, no, I might bring them back when I'm done. I was like, all right, cool. Like, I really liked her. She was just flying her fucking flag, but she was an insane, like... If people think I'm eccentric, Jesus Christ, like I bow to her feet. She is the most eccentric <laughs> person in the Northeast. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you said, any you know, respect to anyone who's flying their own flag and not causing harm to anyone or anything like that. So yeah, yeah. people think it's weird that I'm a cowboy and like that's a bit weird, but like I'm and I usually am causing harm to people, but like, <laughs> she, she caused no harm and she was a spaceman Decepticon Tron. Deceptron. Deceptron. Wild. Did you ever see the episode of Art Attack that used a picture of Max Moon? For one of these projects. <laughs> yes, I fucking did. Isn't yeah. that one of the isn't that the little heed man who's doing it? Or is it actually No, it was Neil Buchanan. He was like, right, so what you can do is make this great. Like I I'm not gonna do a Scouse accent. Like he um he got two pictures and he cut them up into very fine strips and put Max Moon in there with like a picture of a cat or something like that. And it was I don't but never mentioned Max Moon by name. He was like, Oh, the superhero dude. Um he didn't know who he was either. No, he did not. So <laughs> <laughs> so what we got uh coming up next. Uh, you get a WWF Mania advert, funnily enough. Yes. And those adverts are really fun. It's that one where it's like Saturday mornings and, you know, it's got the parents and they go on the breakfast table. And I was like, shit, man, WWE had kids stuff down cool then. They did. Um, they, know they aim at kids now, but I know it's not cool because my kids are just like, mm. Mm-hmm. And they don't have my hideous bias of years and years of bitterness. So they just, I, I just know it's not cool. And they used a clip of Big Boss Man. Uh palming the camera. Is he like, even still there? He was at the Rumble and uh, had a couple of TV matches like in January, then he was sharp gone after that. Um, but... I thought so, because I remember him as the guardian angel around this period when he's coming in with Hulk Hogan. I think that's one of his many, many different gimmicks that he's doing. Yeah, well, he went down to Smoky Mountain as well and uh, he said... Oh, I'd love to see him in Smoky Mountain. What a natural fit. Absolutely. Well, Cornette and him obviously go back years as well. And, and well, of course, he's big Bubba and that. The the Cornette story that Bob Bubba told them in '93 was because WWF were in so much trouble with court cases and stuff like that. He thought it would affect his gimmick as a policeman, so he was like, "I, you know." Oh, swoon. Yeah. <laughs> is isn't that just lovely? <laughs> That's just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, so um, so we've got the Mania advert, and then uh, yeah, things are moving at a swift pace at this point to the point where there's barely a main event. But there's another mint advert as well. Actually, there's an advert for the Royal Rumble that properly gets you hyped up. It's like it's a mixture of an advert, but it's like spliced into a control center, right? Which which is pretty cool if if it wasn't for the fact that Control Center are really pushing a supplement brand that no one ever fucking <laughs> used ever. <laughs> So this is Ico Pro. This is with Gene, or is it with Sean Mooney? No, no, this is Gene. Otherwise, I wouldn't have thought it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, no, Gene, and again, he should have really been in the arena doing these. But uh, yeah, he was. Um, it, it was a good break in the show, but it was a break that also hyped you for something else. It wasn't just constant Bartlett and you know nonsense. It was actually a wrestling hype, and Gene, obviously, the master at it. Uh, probably more than anyone building up a pay per view, uh, but the hype, hyping up the Rockers versus each other for the I think that's for the IC belt, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's pretty exciting. Well, it's a bit weird. Marty Jannetty's going. It's Marty Jannetty Day at the Royal Rumble. I was like, 
Wasn't that what you called the day you were going to bang your daughter when you realised that you weren't related to your daughter? Oh, no. <laughs> like, no, mate. <laughs> just, just no. Hogan would be so jealous. Mm. And then they, were, they, were, they weren't fighting over Sherry, but it was uh, which side Sherry's going to be on at that point. And Marty, Marty could kind of talk, but he would stumble over his words and kind of get a bit lost. And Sherry would have been... It is hard a... when you're high. <laughs> No, fair enough. Sean was wearing shades as well, wasn't he? So he was probably uh, just as high in his own way. Coming up or coming down. (laughs) (laughs) Red tinted shades to hide the red lines in his eyes. Those hype segments are class, though, because they're really short and fast moving. There are loads of little hype bits. Like that video is not very long, but they cram shitloads into it. Like there's a little Yokozuna bit that gets Yoko over better than the match did because you don't have the commentary. And like he's seeming scary and he's not speaking much. And I mean, granted, he has the same ponytail that I give the baby when she's having soup. But other than that, like, <laughs> I was pretty excited for the rumble. And I was thinking, get in, I'm reviewing this rumble soon. I'm excited for this because the card that they unveil is pretty spectacular. There's a, oh, I, I hate using this term, but with that rumble, and I know we're not delving into it too much, but there's a, a, a work rate there that. There's a change from having Warrior and Hogan there, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, real matches. They're yeah. advertising matches you want to see if you like wrestling, not just if you want to see the character you like win. Yeah. And and the thing is, a lot of the matches were cold. Like, there wasn't that much build-up to them, and they were introducing a lot of new names at that point and having to make up for the fact that, like, LOD, Bulldog, Warrior, all gone. Like, even Nails, like, a big name in that time period you know what i mean they were really scrambling at that time to the point where they had to bring in like carlos cologne to fill up a spot in the rumble and that but uh, yeah so where do we go uh, next after the hype package after that that's when you get bobby heenan and his racist disguise as an orthodox jewish man should we brush over that very quickly <laughs> I just, at least he didn't live long enough to be cancelled. <laughs> poor Bobby. Poor, poor Bobby. But I, I mean, it's funny for the time, but it's yeah. kind of awkward now. Probably always awkward for us living in Gateshead with like one of the biggest Orthodox Jewish communities in the whole country. We yeah. always know that it's a bit dubious because, like, other than living in Tottenham, that's as dubious as it gets, isn't it? <laughs> living in Gateshead and seeing this. Yeah, and, and good job he never did that every week, thankfully. But yeah, uh, Jesus Christ, it would just get offensive then. Yes. Uh, oh, this, then you get... <laughs> before we get to the Kamala replay, which is the thing I wanted to bring up before, mm-hmm. you get... The, they try to do that, like, it's uncooked, underperforming, under-rehearsed. Underpants. Where, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where they're trying to do it, and they're like, fuck it up, and then they go back and do it again. And they kind of get there, and you're like, oh, it wasn't worth doing once. Like, I wish you'd just moved on from that. But yeah, you get the Kamala replay, and what the fuck was going on there? Because I have no frame of reference. All okay. I think when I was watching that was, oh, it's good seeing Kim Chi there, because uh, Kim Chi's even on MLW these days, so it, it, it's nice <laughs> to see him in modern day. So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember you from when I was a kid, but what the fuck is going on here? Who's playing Kim Chi now? Not Brawler, I guess. No, no, it is. I'm pretty sure it's is it really? Stephen Bardi, isn't it? Oh, Stephen wow. Bardi's Brooklyn Brawler, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure that's who's Kim Chi and MLW, but I mean, I could be wrong. I'm usually am. That's amazing. I hope this. I hope the successful suing WWE just so Steve Lombardi gets a good payout. Um, is he not with the company anymore? No, no, not for a few. Oh God, no. They fired everyone who had any kind of loyalty to them. <laughs> you know, and any that's long. Appalling. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, he's long so, gone. Uh, let's not get into that too far, because I'll just rant on. But yeah. Hey. So Kamala loses the casket match to The Undertaker at Survivor Series 92, and he's just not the same after that because he's scared of the coffin. So, like, it just it makes him... I remember the coffin fear. Yeah, it makes him Did lose you... matches. Did they do that at SummerSlam as well? No, he was scared of The Undertaker, but it wasn't. there was no coffin at that point. Um, was there not? I remember no. him being frightened. Yeah, yeah. So they basically, once uh, that happened, they continued to manage him, but they treat him like shit. They start slapping him around. Uh, you know, they made yeah, him... Slick comes to save him, doesn't he? Yes. Uh, and that was kind of out of nowhere as well. They were treating him like uh, like a circus animal, basically. And then Slick was mm-hmm. like, you're not an animal, you are He's a not man. a bear, he's a man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and trying to get the crowd to chant, you are a man. And Kamala That's, eventually... You're never going to get that over. No. Although, um... I mean, you might now. <laughs> Crowds will fucking chant anything now. <laughs> like, um... watch... We were watching Impact the other day, and they're like, this is Impact. I'm like, I know. I bought the pay-per-view. <laughs> this is Impact. I'm well aware. I didn't stumble into this paid event somehow by accident. But sorry, I digress. Oh, no. Well, I guess you can't do like an ECW. I-M-P-A-C-T. Like, it doesn't really work, does it? Like <laughs> It's going to become like D-I-S-C-O. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Kamala eventually turns face. And uh, he's not in the Rumble, which is mental, because he's just turned face. But... Uh, uh, Harvey Whippleman. Does he but, turn face there? He turns face on that clip. That's when he actually turns face and joins Slick. But doesn't. I thought he. Oh, shows how confused I was. I thought he braids Slick during that. No, no, he braids uh, Kimchi. But then he's. Does he? I thought he like braids Slick and then he's looking at, looking at him like he's going to eat him and that. And he, it's just a very fucking confusing clip if you haven't got very any context. Confusing. Well, I, I can't remember if it's on this row, uh, but I know around this time, I think it might be on this row, there's a clip of Harvey Whitman saying that I'm going to drop a bomb at the Royal Rumble um, to get me on back on The Undertaker for ruining Kamala. And that ended up being Giant Gonzalez. That's not on this one, though. No. no, so the... Uh, you know, so again, that's why it's more mental that Kamala isn't even on the pay-per-view. Uh, but that's when Jan Gonzalez makes his debut. And uh, that is the context behind that clip, basically. I remember that when you're like, oh, no, we'll get into that the Royal Rumble. That's for another day. <laughs> <laughs> so what yeah, after gonna... that, you get the main event. Not enough time Damien. for uh, Michael Buffer to give a long intro on this. Because the show <laughs> would have been finished. Michael Buffer <laughs> introducing Damien Demento. <laughs> the main event, spoilers, is Damien Demento versus The Undertaker. And you know, I have to take a moment here. Damien Demento, he had some wild gear and he was really committed to that character. And I've really seen fuck all of them apart from this. He, he kind of looks like the guy from Mad Max 2, you know, the one that has the, like, twinkly little bitch with the D- David Essex hair who's <laughs> on the back of his motorbike all the time. You know the one I mean? Yeah. He gets really mad when his little girlfriend gets killed, and he's like, no, I'm sorry, that's terrible. He's not his girlfriend, but he's acting like he's a girl. His boyfriend yeah. gets killed. Like that. He looks exactly like that character, and I, I was behind it. I really liked this in a, like, Road Warrior way, and I mean Road Warrior the film, not the yeah. tag team. Well, he... he seemed really fucking cool. He was seen as a prospect, like a proper prospect on uh, the the not independent companies, but he worked for like territories or whatever before coming into WWF, and he was brought in as like like say a prospect, and he was given a not a daft gimmick. That's the thing. He just was just fucking mental. Um, it's and, a mental gimmick. Yeah, but and he wore I like a Venus flytrap as a in, like an entrance gear, like with the teeth 
surrounding them and stuff like that. Um, See, I just thought he was trying to be like he was some kind of like somewhere between like caveman and like apocalyptic warrior. Like he, mm-hmm. he's got the furs and the skins and the massive teeth and that. I I thought he looked pretty cool and he's like talking to the voices in his head, talking out loud. I really liked that character. As I say, I've not seen much of it, but I thought that looked really cool. But again, you don't get a chance to get into that before Rob Bartlett brings you fucking. That's entirely what I was about to say. Yeah, yeah. go on then. I'll let you take the take the wheel. Oh, just because Rob Bartlett doesn't know what's going on. And uh, Howard Finkel says in the ring, Damien Demento, and the first thing Rob Bartlett goes is, "Oh, jeez," <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, at least at least he's got a second name." <laughs> yeah, which which is rare these days. So they fucked up the Undertaker's entrance because uh, they played the yes, dong and then stopped the music and then he's already in the nearly in the ring by the time they stop playing the music <laughs> again. Yeah, so... You know what Bartlett says as well? N- no. The Undertaker gets in the ring and he looks scary and he does the hair down over the face thing and he's got the hat on, you know, like he's being all fucking cowboy and that and Rob Bartlett goes, brush your hair out of your pretty face. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely the lamest intro the Undertaker has ever fucking had. Hey then, Vince, like, who's the guy with the martini shaker? Yeah, yeah and Vince is so <laughs> lost. And there's those he goes, "That's Paul Bearer of the famous Bearer family." Like, the famous Bearer family. What, what's going on here? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't get. Or are you just panicking at how fucking shit this idiot with the sunglasses on is? If if these Savage are... is just like silent, just thinking, "Fuck this." Yeah. If these early roars had an issue, it's the fact that whatever the last match was, I mean, it wasn't the main event usually, except for Perfect and Flair, but they gave that enough time. And also that wasn't live. Uh, they they would don't really not... have main events really, do they? No, but they also wouldn't have enough time to do anything in the last two minutes. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I think, I think when I looked at this one, they came up, there was three minutes and 40 seconds or something to go. I was like, yeah, this is a main event. Yeah, it's it's not a good idea for a live show, I don't think. They could have like filled it, like done something a bit better, maybe had the Shawn Michaels Max Moon go a little bit longer and make it... Or just make that the main event. Yeah. Well, it's the Intercontinental title as well. People forget that. Like, Yeah, exactly. Just remove the shenanigans and make that the main event. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think much can be said about the Undertaker Damien Demento match, except for the fact that Demento has dined off that for the last 30 years, that he was the first Raw main event. Um, uh, that's that's fair. Oh, I, I agree. I, want, I agree. I, I wanted to ask you, though, I don't remember very well the grey marigolds and leg warmers taker that came before he was purple marigolds and purple leg warmers western mortician taker wasn't it yes i had a feeling it was i liked him better with the purple i don't know why but purple seems more evil than grey the grey <laughs> ones actually look like gardener gauntlets <laughs> that's uh so we've both had one critique of ring attire <laughs> for this show now yeah it's a um, level of campness that you expect <laughs> yeah, nothing can be said about this match, really. It was just a... It's barely a match. Fill it up I, with free... I don't mean that like I'm slagging it off. I mean, no. there's just not much happens. You can't do anything with it. And I think the crowd are just like... They're not going wild over The Undertaker here. They're just like... It's like a light applause <laughs> at this yeah, point. It's polite, isn't it? Yeah, they've they've watched a lot of stuff in a 45-minute time period. <laughs> a lot of confusing stuff. Um they're the same about the old school as I am as well. Mm. Like, I know that's a proper beloved move of The Undertaker. That, And I do think The Undertaker's cool. He obviously went on way too long and like his later matches aged like cottage cheese in a desert. But 
the old school, it's just stupid. Like, that is the sort of move where if it happened now on any promotion, everyone would be like, what's this stupid Cirque du Soleil cosplay bullshit match? Like, you're fucking holding hands, walking on a rope, and then jumping off and slapping his shoulder. Like, that's the same sort of shit that makes me furious when I see the Lucha Bros and Jurassic Express doing shit like that. You know what I mean? I'm like, fuck this. It's meant to be a fight. It's meant to be wrestling. Like, I really hate that move. And that's, as you say, you get kind of a golf clap from the crowd. It's like, well done. You're really big and you walked on the rope. And that is impressive. I couldn't do that. But isn't this a fight? Yeah. No, I get what you mean. Um, Well, this wasn't even the the last thing on the show, was it? Uh, No. They actually go out with their way to really ruin the show because as as they were doing it i was thinking this raw was way the fuck more watchable than anything i've tried to watch last year from wwe like i would tend to see it's the other way around usually it's a good match and then some shocking shocking segment that would ruin it on the modern stuff yeah but this raw i thought it's pretty good in terms of like pace granted the commentary and some of the bullshit in the ic match can ruin it but the wrestling's good it's at an admirable pace that fucking advert for the Mia Farrow and Woody Allen cage match, I forgot about. That is a fucking disgrace. Mm-hmm. How convinced Bollock Doink the Clown just minutes before for making kids cry when they then do a segment where they are mocking like a seven-year-old girl saying her adopted father's been sexually abusing her when she was fucking seven? Mm-hmm. Like... Woody Allen went on to lose custody of the kids that summer and he was having a relationship with one of his other adopted kids. And what the fuck? What are they doing? Like It, it, it makes you see, A, Vince McMahon was obsessed with incest storylines even really fucking early on. And also, just... Oh, it really made me mad seeing that. Like, that is inappropriate. Like, you'll get mad at Rob Bartlett because he says ass on television, but yeah. you think it's okay to make fun out of a parental figure sexually abusing a seven-year-old girl. Whether or not he did, it was alleged at the time and it was going to court. And you think it's funny to advertise that there's going to be a cage match next week and then that's what it is. Like, I don't care if that's trying to be New York humour. That's a fucking disgrace. That's something that uh, is completely flown over the, under the radar because any review that I've ever seen of this show uh, from big names as well, have never talked about something like that. And they, I think because they don't know, they just no. know wrestling. They don't know like cinema history, you know, like actual world news history. That is up there with the Truth Commission as one <laughs> yeah. of the flying under the radar, absolute disgraceful things they should never have done. Yeah. Um, well, and the thing is, though, I think as you've seen, especially with live shows, that Vince is obsessed about just mentioning real life news involving celebrities because it just it means he can i don't know get some kind of rub or like seem relevant or seem like the news i mean it's like the oj thing yeah oh god yeah fucking disgrace bringing that sort of stuff up do not do that like you'll not have swearing you don't want to have any nudity but you don't have a problem bringing up like women being murdered and children being abused by their own parents like Fuck you. That made me really angry, and I forgot because I haven't seen that show since, like, the 15th anniversary thing came out 10 years ago. Or, well, it's probably more than that now, but, like, it it made me so mad. That's the thing. I think, you know, a a lot of those comments do go under the radar because the commentary can be so banal at times. (laughs) 
you're just planking it out. <laughs> but I know I don't think Savage got involved with anything. Uh I think that was just Vince trying to be funny. Yeah. 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 Nobody spoke actually, I don't think, apart from Vince. Uh, I can't even remember if Bartlett did because everyone must have known. Fucking hell. like if Bartlett, I, I can't remember. I might be giving Bartlett too much credit, but he, I would expect as a comedian from New York, you would know. Jesus Christ, I am not speaking on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but that so the Undertaker it does d- sour it a lot though because I really enjoyed the show and then that fucking ruined it for me. Mm. Well, the the um, there's a dunk segment after the Undertaker Damien Demento match, isn't there? Yeah, that's when he's being like, oh, I c- we shouldn't allow you out here. You make children cry. I'm like, you just made fun of a guy who was trying to shag his seven-year-old daughter. Yeah. Yeah, not good. So Crush gets on the show and dramatically improves proceedings. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, this is the... Uh, this is that weekend is when Doink finally attacks uh, Crush. And braze him around the head with his fake arm, um, which is great. Which is great, but that was seen in bad taste as well because uh, they, I think, in real life, some football player uh, broke his neck and got concussions and stuff like that. And I'm certain they referenced it during the angle. Uh, that actually, of, rings a bell now. You've said that. Yeah. Oh, the, I, I, if as we go on with the year 1993, we'll find you know there are very few limits in which Vince won't uh, go in terms of, you know, but just people, for... A... People think that's just the attitude era. Like, yeah. he was always doing that. Like, that stuff is not appropriate, and it should never be there. Like, and one of the times I would agree with Vince, like, I like it to be more sporting, but wrestling is entertainment. And, like, imagine you were a kid who's been getting abused by your fucking parents... And this is a story that's all over the news at the time, and you go to watch it, and then you're like, "Oh fuck!" Imagine you're like a, f- a footballer or a sportsman or just a normal person who's had some crippling neck injury, and then they're going to start referencing that. You're like, no, right? Make what's going on in the ring real. Make yeah. what's happening to the characters real. Don't fucking bring in the real world and real world awful things. And it was, I mean, I, I guess it was to try and get a laugh from Vince's point of view. I'm not at all justifying it, but it's oh, like... Oh, no, no, I know you're not. Like you're not. Saturday Night Live or any of those talk show hosts when they talk about the week's proceedings and stuff like that, I, I don't think even they would know better than to have some joke about something like that. And they don't think Saturday Night's a shoot. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, anyway, so I feel like we've ended this on a proper bummer. Like, but, uh, well, I have, but they did. No, that's it's a great. Show that they end on a massive fucking bummer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was the um, that was the first raw. And like, again, God, so many reviews of that raw from big names, from small names, and stuff like that. But I would like to think that you've never heard it reviewed quite like that. Um, <laughs> In, well, a person who knows things outside of wrestling. <laughs> that would be a novelty for a lot of other reviews I've heard. <laughs> um, but, you know, that is my happy place. I hate that you have to scroll back so far to find it on the friggin' network. Um, like, I oh, wish... that's a painful, isn't it? Go and watch good roars. Hey, Jesus Christ, hang on. Let's just jump through 20 years of shite before I get to that. It does take a long time. The thing is, as well, if you go back to, say, January 1994... It doesn't then, if you keep going, go back to December 1994. It goes back to 1993. So then you can't just mm-hmm. skip yes. forward one episode to January mm-hmm. 1994 again. You go, right, it's, it's a pain in the ass. Oh, yes, yes, I know. I uh, anyway. Nitro as well. 
Yes. Um, so I hope everyone uh, enjoyed that and uh, you should definitely watch along and, um, you know, let us know what you felt, thought of the Raw as well. And, uh, you know, we're going to be doing more of these episodes, working our way through 1993, and we're going to be continuing our WCW series. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you think it gets offensive and poorly done? <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> And I think we'll leave it at that. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so for me, uh, Pablo, uh, and uh, the one and only Tempest, we will see you all next time. Good night. God bless. <laughs>